Well, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Four Star Podcast. So today we have a special treat. We have the audio portion of the Zoom conference that we did just the other day with Kevin O'Leary. And you guys know Kevin O'Leary is Mr. Wonderful from Shark, CNBC Shark Tank. Kevin's got a lot of really interesting business history. If you look him up, you can learn about it. He actually also ran for prime minister of Canada, but uh, left just before the election. We also have, along with along with Kevin, his CEO, Connor O'Brien, Chris Reardon, and myself, and then also Bob and Josh Barone from the Reno operation of Four Star. So they're all here today on the Four Star podcast. We will be back again next week with a full set of discussions on the market, but let's talk this week with Kevin O'Leary and the uh, Zoom conference. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I'll be back to wrap up, wrap up later. Well, welcome everybody to our Zoom call. We're with Four Star Wealth Advisors, our partner firm, Universal Value. And of course, O'Shares, uh, Connor O'Brien, the leader of O'Shares. And then of course, Kevin O'Leary, the founder of O'Shares and, and uh, CNBC Shark Tank. Uh, with us today, of course, from the four-star side, uh, we have Mr. Bob Barone, and Bob is the former chairman of the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco, uh, co-managing director of Universal Value, uh, Josh Barone, co-managing director of Universal Value, Chris Reardon, director of development for four-star, and yours truly, I'm the founder and CEO of four-star wealth advisors. Uh, Connor and Kevin, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, and I, and I, I was going to say, uh, Kevin, you know, the economy is kind of a mess right now. Last time I saw you, we were in great shape in February. Where are we now in the economy? Can you give us your view on it? Well, I think everybody's watched um, this remarkable outcome. But one thing I, I want to point out and try and explain why I think the market is so bulky. Let's just take a typical situation that occurred to Main Street America and American business. 68% of the GDP comes from small business in America. So we did something extraordinary here. We basically shut them down. You look at a typical company, 50% retail distribution. It's 40% through Amazon and 10% to them selling direct from their website. That's, you know, I've got a, pro, I've got a, a portfolio of over 50 companies to do that. And then in yeah. one weekend, we shut down all of retail, which is an extraordinary outcome. And then something amazing happened. They were able to empower using digital technology to replace their retail sales. And it's a, it's a very simple equation. You know, it's, I've got dozens of anecdotal stories, but you know, I, I've got a company, uh, I'll give you an example. America's fastest growing greeting card company is called Love Pop Cards. And buying greeting cards, it's a 3D card made out of paper. Uh, you find it in pretty well any mall in America. It's a very emotional purchase. It's a retail purchase. You're thinking about somebody's birthday or holiday and you buy a card and you send it to them. Now, we had a store in Hudson Yards. There isn't any more retail expensive space on earth than Hudson Yards. You can't pay more per square foot. And we were, and we were happy with the traffic and everything else. That's shut down. We don't have that anymore. What we were able to do with that and many other companies is to go into the market and buy licenses from companies like Microsoft, like Shopify, like Facebook, like Wix.com, and redesign a whole digital platform that sells direct to customer. So what occurred, and you saw this actually happen in Nike's report recently, I can take a company's, because you've got to think about distribution. If you're selling half in retail, 
that's at a 50% gross margin. You've got to pay the distributor, you've got to pay the retailer the margin. Everybody's getting a piece of the sale through the whole cycle. But when you sell direct to a customer, you're keeping practically 99% of the margin. So theoretically, you can cut your sales in half and you are agnostic to cash flow. You're making the same amount of money that you, so if you, if you were doing 100 million in retail and all of a sudden you're only doing 50 selling direct to a customer, you're making the same money. But that's not what happened. We've almost recaptured in some cases 80% of our sales by simply saying, okay, we shut down our, our store in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we've bought 60 mile radius geolocked ads from Facebook, informed our customers that you can now buy direct from us because you can't go to the store anymore. And lo and behold, we got half or more of them back, and now we're making 100% gross margin. What do we use to do that? We use Facebook, we use Google, we use your Shopify, we use even logistics from Walmart. We've done all that stuff, we did it all in five months. In, and what's occurring is that, that, that what I call America, I know that digitization of distribution channels and this idea that people are changing their purchase behaviors away from retail to direct is going to make the S&P in the next two years a much more productive index. It's going to have even higher gross margins. It might even make more cash flow. And that's why the market's looking at this saying to themselves, wait a second, I know this pandemic's horrific, but it's accelerated this digital trend in America that was, should have taken five years happened in five months. And that's why Amazon's of the world and everybody else has had such incredible runs. And it's not over. This isn't going to stop. And so that's why I'm extremely optimistic that what you're going to see, and of course, we've got to get through this whole health issue, but the, the new America looks very, very attractive to me, looks very productive, looks very, very efficient. And the cost savings, let me give you one last idea. I'm, there's many, many retail stores in New York, in Florida, in Texas, in California that I won't ever be reopening. I don't need to. I'm now selling those customers direct. They were marginal locations anyways. Those, those will get converted into climate controlled storage or cloud kitchens or something else, but I don't need them anymore. So I'm saving there and I'm cutting my office space by around 12% across the portfolio because about 15% of the people want to stay at home going forward in accounting, in logistics, in in, in certain areas, um, compliance, for example, they don't need to come into the office, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, but there's more savings there for the S&P. So listen, it's bad what happened, but there's a silver lining is my point. Opportunity. Yeah, yeah so hey, there's, a, there's a point that Kevin's made here about margin expansion, and that's great for the companies to get the benefit of it all. I know Josh and Bob have some questions on the macroeconomic side and the market side. Maybe I'll turn it over to them for, for their comments and then questions for you on that. So the first question is, um, I saw on your feed, the last two feeds that I picked up, you're in LA doing things about LA real estate. Is there something, are you moving to LA? Are you doing something out in LA besides maybe TV? And then two, uh, so you're talking about dis uh, uh, digitalization of retail. What do you think that does to say commercial real estate in, in, in that retail sector? Are we going to see a lot of bankruptcies there? And then, you know, what's kind of your overview of the, of the, the stock market from here? So there's really three questions in LA. I was looking at an opportunity uh, to repurpose a real estate. Cause it goes to your second question, which is what happens? Cause I'm a huge, I'm a huge uh, investor in real estate. It's been a core holding for me for decades and decades and decades. And so, you know, I've got a pretty good window. I've, I've done all kinds of different projects and development from hotels in Boston to climate control storage facilities for pharma companies. I love real estate. I love hard assets. I love free cash flow. I love stabilization. 
I certainly look at cap rates every day. So what I think is going to happen, uh, let's just take, for example, a big client of mine um, just closed 200 stores, Bed Bath & Beyond. I sell a lot of products and services to those guys and have for years. Now, what they've done is they, at the same time they were talking about closing 200 locations, they were talking about how their direct-to-consumer business increased 75% during that quarter. So they've figured out that a lot of people don't necessarily need to come to the store. They want the curation that Bed Bath & Beyond does by selecting the right towels, the right sheets, the right products I sell them, and puts them all together and curates them, and they're happy to have them delivered to their homes. So what happens to those 200 locations? Well, they're going to be turned into direct delivery locations. They're going to be turned into warehousing, climate control warehousing. Some of them will be turned into cloud kitchens. They'll be repurposed. Now, it's, it's, it's going to put some pressure on regional banks um, because, you know, let's say you own the, you know, the, the pizza franchise beside that Bed Bath & Beyond location, and you're hoping to get traffic there, and now you're down to 50% capacity. That's a regional bank problem. And I think certain sectors of the economy have to, have to, to reprice um, you know, D tier and B tier real estate and adjust the cap rate. So maybe if that cap rate was trading at a five and a half, maybe it goes to seven and a half. I don't know yet, but it's going to be that kind of thing. Some bankruptcies, but the, the actual space is gonna be used in the new digital economy to allow for two hour, three hour delivery to the customer in that geographic region. My idea was to go and invest in that repurposing, and that's what I was doing in LA, because that's one of the most densest areas of the country where people in LA, want, they want it now and they want it in the next hour. And the only way you're gonna do that is cloud kitchens and having multiple climate control warehouses to pack and pick and all that. But that's just one aspect of it. So I would say as an investor, you probably want to avoid money center banks for a while. You want to avoid regional banks for a while, not forever. But the idea that they're lows now, I don't agree with. So that's an area I have pulled my horns in. On the other hand, give me anything that has to do with digitization. And then, you know, obviously I'm talking my book when I say this, but I've, I had my hand in building an index called OGIG, OGIG, and that's got 70 or 80 companies in it that I'm buying licenses from like crazy to repurpose everything I do in consumer change behavior, not here, but globally. Yeah. OGIG, you know, I'm happy with performance. It's up over 50% this year, year to date. That kind of thing makes sense to me. That's a great story. Chris? Yeah, I think uh, kind of playing into that, um, Forrestar does a lot of sector overweighting and underweighting. Uh, have you been trading any of the uh, sector winners? And uh, what do you see kind of as the leading sectors going into the second half of the year, Kevin? Well, I'm going to stay the course on tech. Uh, it hasn't finished uh, its, its conversion. I love healthcare. Um, I love the, the, the repatriation of the, the whole uh, supply chain from pharma to biotech to medical supplies. And you're, you're not going to have any Hillary Clinton type bashing of pharma pricing while these companies are saving our lives uh, with therapeutics and vaccines and whatever else. We're going to miss that whole bashing thing that usually happens in every election cycle. So you're going to get some PE expansion there. I don't like anything with duration. I hate utilities. I hate REITs. I don't want anything to do with government bonds because I don't, I'm not taking, you know, give me 160 basis points to own a government bond for 30 years. I don't think so. I'm trying to get away uh, from anything that has duration or inflation risk to it. And so that gets me into a more, um, you know, full weighting healthcare, full weighting in healthcare, uh, full weighting in technology. And, you know, being very careful 
that I get pricing power in my equity holdings because if you, you gain $5 trillion down in the economy, you're going to get some inflation in here somewhere. I don't know when, but I like good quality S&P companies. You find that in the OUSA index that I use for my core holdings. And I guess playing into that, um, from, as, yeah, from asset allocation, do you see anything like um, any opportunities abroad from international markets? Um, you've already kind of talked a little bit on the fixed income markets, but what do you see from a broad asset allocation perspective? Um, what are you seeing out there? Well, the, fir the first thing that, I've, that I haven't done in 30 years that I just did recently is I've always been 50% fixed income, 50% equities. That is not where I am today. My bogey is to distribute 6% a year of portfolios in cash. I have to earn 6%. Now, for, for decades, that's, a real, that's the same mandate a CalPERS has, they're at seven. Uh, the sovereign funds in Riyadh or the UAE, they're at six. You gotta generate 6%. That used to be 50% fixed income. You know, and the core to a fixed budget was always a ladder of government bonds. You're not making 6% anywhere there. Even on triple B credits, you're still 200 basis points away from your 6% bogey. So for the first time ever, I've moved from 50-50 to 70% weighting in equities for the next three years. And you know that's 20% that I've taken away uh, from the old 50-50, 70-30, 70 equities, 30 fixed income. That's the first thing in allocation. And, and, and anything with duration with risk, forget it. And so that's why I don't like utilities and that's why I don't like long-term perpetual press or anything like that. But really, in terms of international, I think people are way too pessimistic because if you look at the real performance in an index like OGIG, it's the Asian companies are growing even faster than the Amazons, the Alibabas, the JD.com, the Wix.com, the Zooms. These guys are at 30 to 40% growth in some cases, and we don't have anything near that US. And so you really want to have a, a broad global picture on the digitization story, not just domestic plans. Yeah. Hey, Bob, do you have a question? So uh, not everybody is as wise as uh, you are um, in, uh, in going after the new economy. Uh, we have, um, at last count, about 33 million people unemployed and about 20% of small businesses have closed their doors already. So those folks so far have been saved by the, uh, by the federal government's handouts. So we have... Um, uh, $600 uh, a week for the unemployed, many of them, uh, that's more than they made every week. And so for, for the consumer, it hasn't been a shock yet, but sooner or later it will be. So my question to you is, I want, I'd like you to tell me your optimistic and pessimistic scenario of what the recovery looks like. Yeah, on the pessimistic side, if you thought that we could never control uh, the, the outbreaks, uh, that would be a bad outcome. In other words, I have businesses that uh, were shut down, for example, in Florida uh, until we opened them up again, uh, bars and restaurants, and then we only let them operate for 11 days. So I bought all that inventory that's going to spoil. That is a bad outcome. I brought all those people back to work. Now they're back at home. I don't want to do that again. So that is not good, and that's a sector that has really suffered. Anything I had to do with, 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 with the entertainment and sports arenas that I've serviced in any of those businesses, same problem. But let me, let me give you some data points that I think about in, in the worst case versus the most likely case or somewhere in between. Let's, let's just take other places that have dealt with this problem. Switzerland, 8.2 million people, 7 million Swiss citizens, 
and 1.2 million foreigners living there. Okay, that's like any nice American city, all right? And they, they were able to nip this thing in the bud in 90 days by simply going to the people there and the businesses there and simply saying, we're not gonna make it a law, I'll tell you, wear a friggin' mask for 90 days in your home or you know, in a business or when you're walking down the street and they nipped it in the bud and, la and yesterday only 212 cases. Last week, it was only 14 cases, but they opened up the airports and they're back in business. You just saw today Walmart mandate. Now Walmart is not the government, but might as well be. They're telling people you're wearing a mask in the store. I don't care what your political view is, you're not shopping here unless you put a mask on. We can nip this thing too. We can fix Miami Beach. We can fix LA County. We just have to get a little smarter about it. And I'm optimistic that people will get the joke at some point. And that's my scenario where sometime in the next six to eight months, we get our caseloads down. We take the pressure off the hospitals without any vaccine whatsoever. That's a good outcome. Now, if we're really crazy and we can't do that, and look, that can happen, you know, the whole live free or die thing, I get that too. But that's not likely going into the fall. So I'm a little more optimistic that we get ourselves into more like a Swiss, Italian, British kind of tone. New York did it, and New Yorkers are crazy. If they can do it, they yeah. can do it in Texas too. And they can yeah. do it in Miami. And you know, my daughter's down in New York, and uh, they have protocols down there. They, they wear masks, they're used to it. And New Yorkers are very crazy people. And, and so I met Josh? So I, I, I get it that you don't like government bonds, um, you don't like the return on them, but you can't deny that the, the, even the government bond market that a total, on a total return basis in the last year that the returns have been actually, frankly, very, very good. Um, so where do you think the bond market goes from here? I know we have our own view here, but I'd, I'd like to hear yours. Yeah, look, I have no problem with bond market. I have been in a ladder of gubbies for 27 years and have made the returns you've talked about. I have a different problem today. I need to distribute 6%. I have to do that. I don't think the government bond market's going to give me a 6% return, not in a latter duration risk. You know, if I did, I just can't get that anymore. So I've moved up into the credits. Now I have in certain portfolios, perpetually have to be investment grade. That's just a trustee mandate. So I'm working in, you know, triple B markets where I can't make 6% without taking extraordinary duration risk. And I, I have no problem with fixed income. It's still 30% of the portfolio. And I'm looking at deals every day. And I am certainly funding private companies with everything from factoring to, uh, you know, 90 day debt and, and 36 month debt. And, and I'm all the whole of stuff that I'm willing to lend on to try and get a 6% return. It's not easy. And, and so I would prefer to put a little bit more into equities where I'm getting 2% or 2, 2 to 2.8% 2 distributions in the form of dividends, pricing in, you know, pricing in that I have some control over inflation, I have pricing power. Fixed income, I have no problem with it and I'm not against it at all, but I, I'm not 50% in fixed income anymore. Not when I'm making... 3.4% and taking five year duration risk on triple B's. That's not that interesting. So you're basically gone from being an index investor there style to kind of an arbitrage uh, 
pick and choose what you're doing yeah, there? You're, you're very astute. I've, I'm using managers now for special situations. Uh, you really need to have some buying power. You're looking at series where you need $5 million to take a position off a hedge fund guy. Sometimes you want to syndicate that. Uh, stress stuff. You know, all the single C credits uh, in, in the shale space. I can't buy those in the trust, but I can certainly buy them personally. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not as exciting as it was a few years ago. It's fully priced. I mean, you know, so, I used to get 17% in factoring to Walmart. I'm lucky to get nine. And I think I'm taking a fair amount of risk. And so that's not that exciting. But I, look, I'm not against it, but you're right. It, you have to bring down your expectations. You got to ask yourself, you know, you talk to those traders, uh, the institutional guys you hear every day on CNBC, they have 6% bogeys too, and they are not all over fixed income right now. Hey, Kev, you know, I, I was thinking, uh, you know, the, the small business community has been slaughtered here, whether it be restaurants or other small businesses. What kind of advice would you have for folks that own a small business and they're struggling trying to keep it open? Like in general, any, any thoughts there? Yeah. The only ones in my portfolio, the ones that have pivoted to, to digital have stayed alive. The ones okay. that have reached out to their customers in the geographic regions, whether they had one store or a hundred stores, they have gone ballistic on figuring out, look, we've got your email address. We've got your phone number. We are alive and we're in business. The store is closed. They were expecting two, two and a half percent response rates. You know, that's what you typically get off that kind of a campaign, direct reach out. They've gone to a Shopify with a Facebook shop mandate. So that's like an ability to geolock the ads around the store locations. And their, their spend on Facebook is through the roof. You know, it's, it, Facebook, I know everybody likes to bash it, but it is a tool that's being used by small business like never before. So yeah. whatever they say, that, that, that company ain't going anywhere. It's, it's going to have a really, really good quarter. That's what I think. Anyways. I'm telling all these businesses, if you want to survive having been stripped of your retail distribution, you've got to go online. The response rates have been in some cases as high as 30%, up from two and a half to 30%. If you get 30% of your customers back and you're at 100% gross margin, you're practically at the same place you were with your retail store. In some cases, we've gone past 50%. You know, companies like uh, Rounder Bum, which sells apparel to gay men, out of the store in LA and other locations. And we, we were in Macy's. Well, what do you think we've done? We've reached out to our customers and now we're selling that apparel direct and we're getting the full margin and we're alive and we're in business and we don't have any retail stores. So those are the ones that I own for that company. That's a good business. And so, so it's technology, right? Technology is the key. Technology. It's, total, it's total technology. And I, I can't be bullish enough on it. And it's not a COVID stay at home trade. This consumer behavior is, you know, in my building in Miami where I was quarantined, where we have a lot of 70 plus year old people, they'd never use their phone to order groceries. We had to hire six new guys just to take the traffic in by the hour of all the Instacart traffic we were getting. Wow. Those seniors are not going back to walking to fresh market. Ain't happening. They now get it. They are permanently digital and that's happening all over America. It's happening all over the world. You know, Kevin, when we talk about small business too, you know, I'm one of the original uh, Hyde Park Angels, which is kind of like a shark, only it's not TV. Um, do you have a, like your view of what's going on in the early stage markets now? Like Shark yeah, Tank? The, the hot thing now, and Connor's well aware of this, we just, my companies have gone to crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding. 
They, they, they're, they're not getting funded by traditional VCs anymore. Look at, no. go to a platform like Start Engine and look, I'll, I'll full this transparency. I'm an investor in Start Engine. I'm their spokesperson and I got my deals all over it because it works. So if you need to raise a million seventy under the Jobs Act, you're not doing it with a VC. You can't even get a meeting with a VC right now. They're licking yeah. their on their portfolios. But but just like in 0809, you know, 70809 when Kickstarter came out of nowhere, all these platforms on equity crowdfunding um, are, are are taking off, and that is the new that's the new source of capital. Plus, you get your customer as your shareholder, and uh, yeah, I, I'm 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 moving a lot of my businesses onto those platforms for that first million dollar raise. And Brian, yeah. give me a call on that at some point if you like, I'll tell you everything I've learned so far. And what you see even pre-coronavirus episode, the venture capital firms were doing seed deals, early round deals. They were, they were moving up the food chain to later stage deals and lots less money for the early yeah. stage deal. So what you're doing is great, it's necessary. And I look forward to sharing with you a bit of the crowdfunding um, learning yeah. that we've already had. But it's not it's just, not, not just Series CF, it's also Series A for up to 50 million. This right. thing is serious. This is because I think what you're going to see is larger deals, instead of going to private equity, they're going to go to Series A on these crowdfunding platforms. Right away, yeah. Josh? So you have, you're at 11 or 12 seasons of Shark Tank now. 12, 12 seasons. 12. Congratulations. So new seasons coming out. Um, any, any, tidbits, any information we can get before it's aired? And is there any new sharks or anything like that? Yeah, there'll be new guest sharks when it starts shooting uh, August 3rd. I don't think it's a secret anymore. We're shooting it in the bubble in Las Vegas, the same bubble that the NHL is gonna use. They moved up to Edmonton, we're taking over their bubble. So everybody gets tested, everybody gets locked down, everybody comes in and quarantines and we shoot the whole thing in an 86,000 square foot facility. So there's plenty of room to have, you know, different sets and all that stuff. And I'm going to fly to Vegas, uh, you know, in a couple uh, 10 days, I guess. And then uh, all the deals are digital, 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 digital. Nobody's yeah. coming up with a new retail concept, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Kev, you know, the other thing I was thinking about last time we talked about that you had been in the Canadian prime minister race, and I'm glad you, uh, I bet you're glad you stepped out of it, because uh, you'd have to lead through COVID. But what do, you, what do you think of current political leadership and then the big election coming up here? Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll end on that topic. But um, uh, that thing, that, that, that my own political race cost me millions of dollars. My wife is really pissed at me. Um, and, you know, that's, that's one thing, and I'm glad that's over with. Because in politics, uh, celebrity is one thing, but in politics, 50% of the people hate you. It's, not, it's different. You're not, you're not ready for that. This election, uh, I'm making a call. I don't know. It's really hard to handicap it. But... I don't think you make mandate changes at a time of war. And I think of this virus as a, a silent enemy. And I think the economy is way better than people think. And so, you know, uh, forecast that there'll be a regime change, I'm not sure is going to be right. Uh, even if it is, I don't think it's going to be a full sweep. So I think you'll, you'll have a, a Biden presidency with a, um, with, you know, a, a, a Senate that's going to be adversarial, which keeps him in check. I don't see him raising taxes even if he wins because the economy is too nascent. Uh, I also think uh, just 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 from a, an investment strategy, and I'm not playing one side against the other. I don't care. I care about policy. Uh, I think if the Dems really wanted to win, they they could have chosen somebody else. It would have been a better candidate. That's my opinion. But hey, I could yeah. be wrong. Who knows? <laughs> I gotta go, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate yeah, it. Good. Thank you all. Thanks, all guys. Right. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks a lot.
Well, great, everybody. Uh, thanks. I hope you all enjoyed that interview. We are, you know, in our closing pro- process here for today. Reminder to subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe to Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. We have a great team of advisors that would love to work with you. So if you care to discuss all the things we discussed on this interview with Kevin O'Leary or other parts of the investing world, want us to do some work for you, give me a call at 312-667-1755 or go on our website and give us your information. We're happy to help. So again, thanks for being part of this. Thanks for listening to the interview with Kevin and uh, Connor. And uh, on behalf of our whole team, Laura, Chris, and Chris in the home office, Brian, Tucker, and Karen on our East Coast operations, signing off again till our next podcast next week. <music>